The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hi, listeners. It's Leslie Morse here again. In this fifth episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series for the Women in Agile podcast, Lisa and I are joined by lexicographer Corey Stamper. If you're a member of the WEA community or a loyal listener of our podcast, you might remember Corey from the 2020 Women in Agile Conference keynote in July of last year. She was also featured on an episode of the WEA podcast in the same month, so be sure to check out the show notes on this episode for links to all of that content. My hope is that your brain and your cheeks hurt just a little bit after listening to this discussion. In some ways, it's just over 40 minutes of content where three women are geeking out on things they're curious and passionate about, and we do it with lots of love and laughter. When we were recording, I found myself smiling a lot, in fact, smiling so much my cheeks hurt. So my hope is that that gift is yours as well. This episode starts off in a playful way. We do a check-in based on the parts of speech. And we talk about Lisa's encounter with language and learning and how it was a disruption as ally. We define words like idiolect and touch on things about how to avoid being pedantic. I think the two most important takeaways are first, when Lisa highlights that the importance of language is not just about being PC. The shift she invites in us is to embrace that our language choices can temporarily short circuit the relationships we're in. And if you want to create the most value and impact possible, it's simply not worth it to do that. The second is Corey's consistent reminder to hold each other with grace as we embrace language as a fluid element of society. At the end of the day, we want to build inclusivity, and the language we use can go a long way towards doing so. As always, if you want to stay up to date with everything happening on the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series, please visit us online at www.womeninagile.org. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I truly hope you enjoy this conversation. Lisa and Corey, hello today. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad to be with you for this conversation. I think the dynamic of having Corey in on this around the importance of language and Lisa, what you discovered in your aha moment as recording the audiobook is uh, it's going to be really just sort of give everybody a chance to just think about how language shows up in their own lives. Um, and even the way we read and consume content as well, and just being a little more thoughtful. So I'm, I'm delighted to have you all with me today. Great. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Just to, um, I want to be a little nerdy for a second and ask, um, if you are a part of speech, <gasps> right, there are eight parts of speech, which I did have to go research this. <laughs> um, if you were a part of speech, what part of speech might you be today? Oh, today. Today, I would be an adverb because adverbs are everywhere and they are the junk drawer of the English language. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling uh, like I'm doing many different things today and this week. So I'm, I'm going to say I'm an adverb. You're an adverb. Excellent. Lisa, do you need a minute to keep thinking? Well, I want to say adjective because that is so exciting. Like, you know, there's always these descriptive <laughs> words. But honestly, I'm just feeling more like the humble pronoun right now. Perfect. I really am. 
Lovely. And I'm, I believe I need to hold the role of conjunction today, right? <laughs> the thing that links together the conversation just to keep us going. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Although, is, ex, is it exclamation, Corey? Interjection. Like the, ooh, interjection. interjection. I did interjection. think about interjection, like, ooh, maybe I'm an interjection today. But I was like, no, I actually feel like your know, conjunction would probably serve us best. So I'm actually, I might not feel like a conjunction, but that's what I'm channeling. All right. <laughs> okay. <Perfect>. Okay. <laughs> so, so with, with that, and we want to explore how language kind of evolved since 10 years ago, the written coaching agile teams book was done to where we are today. But Corey, as we've learned in other women in Agile conversations you've had, as you were our keynote speaker for the 2020 virtual conference, you've recorded your own podcast episode with me where we talked about a little of this, but I just, for people that didn't get to experience that content, let's talk about just how language has changed and evolved really sort of over time as well as over the past decade. Yeah. I mean, the first thing to notice that language does change. I think we like to think of it as being static because we like having something that we can appeal to outside of us. But language changes because it's about communication and modes of communication change. Um, over the years, especially over these last 10 years, I think that one of the ways that language has changed is that we've just become more aware of how we use it and how we use it to describe other people, to describe ourselves, to describe the things around us. And in a way that I think is, is a little bit more outward looking, a little bit more inclusive. Um, and that's something that I, I think is, is sort of more broadly, we're more broadly aware of it now than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. Lisa, what did you notice going back through the original text of the book in terms of that compare and contrast? Well, it's exactly as Corey just said. There are things that I naturally changed this year in 2020 that in 2010 I viewed totally differently. And I suppose maybe I chose pronoun today because pronoun was one of the main things that changed. Mm -hmm. um, in 2010, when the book was published, I was careful to do my best to have a balance of he and she pronouns when I was describing situations and people and how they react in situations. And I don't know if I actually struck a balance at all, um, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't want to do the he or she or he slash she, his or like that whole thing that what came in and out of a fad. Like mm -hmm. none of that worked for me. So I wanted to just have a pronoun mm -hmm. and and now in 2020, because as Corey says, we pay attention much more now, and I do, mm -hmm. uh, how we address people and how we talk about someone who you don't know, mm -hmm. right? And so now the singular they is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> because I found myself very naturally saying they as I was recording the audiobook versus he or she, and I realized how many times using the he or she pronoun actually overloaded the situation with meaning or stereotypes or whatever that I, that we don't need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that gender difference as well. One of the things I know I've experienced just over my career over the past decade is um, permission to as much as we are paying attention to language more permission to actually just speak the way I want to speak and not feeling I need to conform to 
um, more standard business language Mm -hmm. from sort of, I'll even call it the 90s, for lack of a better term, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how we more further embrace the feminine qualities of leadership and how that's even changing the language we use in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so what if the two of you sort of experienced around that for yourselves? And then maybe, Corey, is there anything, for lack of a better term, a little more academically that you've noticed around the emergence of feminine qualities as it pertains to language changes? Mm. Yeah, I I think one of the things that I have noticed for my own part is, um, so uh, as women, we're trained sort of, you know, as we come up through the ranks to, to couch opinions in softer language. And then there was a fad through the 90s, like, don't couch your opinions in soft language, just sort of be bold. And so stop saying, I think, or maybe, or what if, just say, we should do X, Y, and Z, or this is how we should do it. And and that those things were mostly done to sort of move us forward in, in a space that I think had been previously masculinized. We had just assumed, you know, this is how we had assumed this is how men speak. We didn't actually think this is how men speak. We just <laughs> assumed it. And now I have found that I'm, I'm much more comfortable actually and in sort of settling into those like, well, I think, or maybe, or could we do's and particularly because it, it, creates a collaborative space within my team. So I'm not saying, hey, thanks so much for delivering X, Y, and Z. Let's do A, B, and C with it. I can say, you know, thanks for delivering X, Y, and Z. I really like it. I think maybe A, B, and C could be a great add-on for the next iteration. What do you think? And it creates a collaborative space. So that's one space that I, one way in the business world that I think we've we've sort of moved more into allowing women to speak the way that we naturally speak. Yeah. I love that reflection. So I'm sitting here thinking like, how, um, how has that number one played out in my own life? (laughs) What I noticed in the audio book, like I've got a lot of thoughts going on right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing I would say uh, to that about the audio book in particular is that I think a lot of that sort of, I would call it like integrated feminine masculine language shows up in the coaching adult teams book to begin with. Mm. And maybe that's, maybe that's part of what struck a chord in 2010, sort of getting out of the, Mm. out of that um, greed is good, hyper masculinized (laughs) era that Leslie and I, and I think you too, Corey, like pretty Mm -hmm. much came up in. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we're, if we're creating a collaborative environment, it's not like putting cushions around everything, but it is like saying, okay, how, how would this work for you? Mm-hmm. And I think the Coaching Agile Teams book just takes people on an inner exploration. And when that happens, that, um, that permission to explore and how the language helps that permission to explore, I think, was already present. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, though, I came across some things I just yanked out of the audiobook because I was like, why did I even say that? <laughs> Please say was, more. Yeah, like say more. Example. It was so weird. <laughs> like like this, this militarized language. So mm. I, talk, I talk about doing a certain kind of practice. And then here's a scenario. Practice with a scenario. And then the next thing I say is, okay, after you practice with this scenario – 
think about your real life and use live ammo. <laughs> what? I mean, how? I mean, I mean, I real life scenario was totally sufficient. Why mm-hmm. in the world did I bring that in? I also mm-hmm. talked about agile being an, a competitive advantage weapon at one point in the mm-hmm. audiobook. <laughs> and so I'm like, so I, I, you know, I don't actually know who I was when I was writing that book mm. because of that. I don't know what it was that was creating that sort of uh, 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 like that kind of use of language, but it was totally unconscious. Then. Mm. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I remember you telling me stories in the past about sort of your own inner journey. And I do think Coaching Agile Teams is such a great book for like launching people mm. on that inner work kind of journey about like, what do I need to shift within myself? But like, as you dismantled your own kind of, I'm a recovering project manager, masculine command and controls traits, as you did that and became stronger standing in your own authenticity, it simply allowed you to be more fluid. And I think you're, you were still on that journey and still are in so many ways. And so this was just sort of a snapshot in time Mm -hmm. of where you were. Yeah. So it's great now to have the chance to go, they're out. Yeah. Right. yeah, and and you had other language shifts in the book that you started getting curious about after you had the gift of experiencing Corey as our WIA keynote for the Women in Agile conference. Yeah, I have to say Corey's keynote caused a bit of a disruption in my life. <laughs> we could call this disruption is ally. Yeah, yes. that, that's right. That's right. It's exactly right. So just so just set the stage. I have been waking up at 4 a.m., 4.30 a.m. for 40 days in Oof. a row to record this book, right? And I, and I actually did love it. And, but, it, but it, oh, yeah, it was arduous. I just finished it. I, like, I finished it on the Thursday. And then this keynote is on the Sunday. And she's talking about language and really challenging us in the Agile community about some of the language we use. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, crap. It's all throughout the book. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so then I, you know, I actually went through several days of, you know, so the things in particular that I was concerned about is the use of master and mastery mm-hmm. in the book. And um, there was one more I can't remember right now. Servant is the servant. other word that I remember you servant. telling me about. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. servant. Right. And so I went through several days where I just wanted to ignore it. <laughs> and, then I, and then I consulted my husband, who was not a really great person to consult because he's like, well, let's just look this book word up. You're using it perfectly fine. It's OK. <laughs> you know, like back to the language is static thing, Corey. Right. 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 And then I'm like, but hang on. These these words come from places that have really rich and sometimes painful meaning for people. I don't share. I don't have that background mm-hmm. to share that. And, and that makes, that makes it even more important mm-hmm. that I pay attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once I, once I dug my head out of the sand, I, um, I, I emailed Corey and I said, can I get a consultation with you? Please? <laughs> You know, I was not looking forward to going back to the publisher and going, yeah, you know, we're going to have to re-record a bunch of chapters. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but I was open to the possibility that there were going to be some big changes. Mm. 
Yeah, but I, I think, you know, Lisa, when we had our conversation, the thing that was so gr- the thing that was great for me as someone who cares about language is that you came into this conversation willing to say, okay, my language might need to change, right? Which, as anyone who speaks a language, that's hard to do. And as, as a writer, I mean, I'm an author, and anytime you're like, I'm done with a book, and then you get the edits back, and you're like, I'm not done. No, how could this happen? So, so your openness was was really inviting, but I think one of the things that came out of our conversation was this idea of of language being about context, and that you can take some of these words like mastery, which you know, if you listen to the, my keynote, I touch on this, but mastery has sort of militaristic conquering origins back in the 1400s, but you can take it and you can flip it on its head, right? That's the great thing about language is it's malleable. So you can recontextualize things in a way that can can help redeem them or can help highlight, yes, we did use this word this way, but now I am undercutting it by talking about mastery, not of agile, but mastery of the self. Like, how do I conquer my own inner inner demons or how do I do the work that needs to be done in order to move forward? So, so I think that was something that was, was, I found, I mean, I was really engaged in it, but I think the fact that you were, that you understood, like, context is really what matters here. And, and as a strong engagement of language in context is how we move forward out of these sort of linguistic messes that we've worked ourselves into for hundreds of years. Well, I'm going to invite everyone into the linguistic, potentially linguistic mess of the word idiolect, which was a new word for me since, Corey, I met you. Um, And Lisa, I think that word in its definition was part of your inspiration to really kind of just take that step back and and look at all of this. And so why, why was that word such a catalyst for you? Well, I didn't know that word until I was in the conversation with Corey. And we're talking specific, I'm I'm like literally talking with Corey about, so here's how I use the word and here's what happens after that. And just walking her through how the book works so that we could see, did something need to be changed? And so this is where she just throws this word on me, and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So basically, Corey, I'm going to give it a whirl, okay? Go for it. Go for it. And correct the definition. Um, but basically, idiolect is the, the sum total of all my colloquialisms and the way I use words. And, and it's my language, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly fine until it bumps up against someone else's idiolect. Right. And then we have a conversation. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, your idiolect is a collection. It's sort of like a, a linguistic history of yourself. So my idiolect... I grew up in Colorado, so I have the American Western. That's my base, but my dad's from Appalachia. My mom's from the upper Midwest, and I lived on the East Coast, and half my family's from Texas. So I have this big, like, schmaze of language that doesn't neatly fit into one category or another. That's your idiolect. And and our idiolects, you know, we think of our idiolects as the way that everyone speaks, because that's just what we do. And it really isn't, as Lisa said, until like we encounter someone else's language that we have to start thinking about the the interaction between how our languages work together. Yeah. Well, and then in speaking language versus written language, 
especially with the English language, is so strange. I think I shared with both of you Mm -hmm. before the story of I was reading some content Mm -hmm. and it was project this, project that. And I'm like, why are we projecting all these things until I realized it was project? And I'm like, (laughs) same exact letters, but you put the emphasis on a different syllable and the whole word is something completely new. Yep. And, and it's just the English language is really funny that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, yeah, it's a little baffling. And the fact that it's all fluid mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we went through how do we be politi- politically correct with our language? And now in the age of, uh, you know, tight focus on social injustice and how that shows up in gender equality and all of these things, mm-hmm. um, it's just we don't want to put people in a place of fear around not even wanting to speak. And then as these evolutions happen, I think back uh, around how do we continue to honor thought leaders of the past? Mm-hmm. Because just because language has evolved and someone wrote something 10, 15, 20 years ago, where the thought leadership and the spirit and the context of how those words were used still needs to be honored, right, and, mm-hmm. and held forward, mm-hmm. even though they might have used words then that we no longer find acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so how, I guess, Corey, do you talk to people about navigating those kind of changes, Yeah, those are hard because I I think 99% of people don't set out to upset or offend people, right? We we all kind of want to get along. And I think especially once you start becoming aware of the complexities of language, um, and that really just comes from meeting other people, reading things that are outside of your own experience, sort of you just realize how loaded everything could be. And I, I bring this up in, in the keynote, and I, but I think it's an important thing to realize that we are all on a linguistic journey. <laughs> Nobody has the answers. I don't have the answers, and I'm an expert in this. And so there is a point of part of, part of what it means to interact with people is to, to communicate clearly. And that means that there might be back and forth. And that means that sometimes you just have to have grace for somebody else. And you have to have grace for your own learning process and your own development. Because it's not easy. No one can keep all this stuff in their head at all times. But what, what moves us forward it, collectively is sort of an openness to, to hearing correction, to taking correction, to walking forward with someone as opposed to being antagonistic about change. So, so that's sort of, that's a good basis for how to move into how do we then honor the thought leaders of the past, which, you know, I might not use the term scrum master, let's say, or, or that might be hard, you know, in our current circumstances, but but what does it mean to take the original intent of that and move it forward into a new space in a way that doesn't ignore the the way that that term came about? Yeah, well, and Lisa, I think of your example of having used the the phrase a schedule slave driver mm. yeah. in the book originally. Yeah, that's not in there anymore. Well, it's yeah. in the book. It's in the print book. It's not in the audio book. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, so so that was a case where that would be something I would say all the time about myself being mm-hmm. a schedule slave driver. And I used to say that out loud to people. And now I think, my gosh, you know, what, what is someone else's experience in life such that that, that, that phrase 
creates a, an interruption in the relationship between me and them. and I don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And so like I, I want us to actually move beyond sort of a rote political correctness into the nuance of what you're talking about, Corey, to be, to look at it together, walk alongside each other, have a lot of grace, be willing to have the conversation. Um, because I don't know how many times I probably actually did bring up something painful for people and it, it never came to the forefront. But mm-hmm. now, 10 years later, I can look at it and go like, okay, that word in the middle of that phrase actually does not improve the phrase very much. Yeah. You know, yeah. schedule driver is just appropriate for what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think a lot of these are that way. We, I, Like, for me, I just adopt these colloquialisms, and then I realize, like, well, where did that even come from? And and why don't I just say the thing I mean? Mm-hmm. More than anything, I just want people I, – I care about inclusion for a lot of reasons. But in this audio book and in the Coaching Angelines book itself, I just care about places where I would create a disconnect between me and the reader – and how that's just not um, my intention. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help anyone to create that kind of disconnect. So, like, the more we can be connected, stay walking together, that's what I'm going for. Yeah. 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 And then there's just the globalization of society as well. There are so many things where we speak in metaphor and analogies and just strange ways in American English that if you didn't have sort of the cultural reference for it, mm-hmm. someone across the globe wouldn't even understand the nuance of what you mean at all. And so I think, Lisa, to your point around really using almost the most simple language possible mm-hmm. makes it so much more inclusive because you're not speaking past people with you, whatever your own idiolect is. Yeah. I found myself changing a lot of um, little places here and there to become more simple, but also more powerful, more true to the meaning. Mm. Um, and so I really did challenge myself that way because you're right. Like in the last 10 years, the world is way more global than it was. And mm-hmm. the audiobook in particular, I was very excited to record it because it makes it available to people to whom um, booksellers don't deliver physical books easily. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And so, especially, especially now with the audiobook, mm-hmm. to have the language be simple, precise, clean, like you mm-hmm. understand my meaning the first time you hear it, that is important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think things like that too also help establish sort of linguistic best business practices, right? So, so Lisa, you you saying I'm just going to default to using singular they, um, which you know, by the way, has been around for 700 years, so it's fine. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you can use it, but but that sort of that that sets a tone, right? That sets a tone for okay, this isn't a well respected book. It's in a well respected audio book in our field. So it must be okay. I think people often look for for sort of permission from thought leaders, from people who are sort of at the vanguard of any field to do something that they already are tending to do. So if you have the audience and you have the space to be able to say, you know what, I'm just using singular they, that opens doors for other people who are coming up 
you know, behind you, it opens doors for people who, you know, might be non-binary and, and to use singular they as their pronoun. Mm-hmm. It just, it creates spaces that I think we don't even think we're creating when we make those choices because our language is bigger than us and the world is bigger than us. And so, so it's exciting to think about about opening doors that way. I think that's really kind of a good framing for it, that these these changes are not, um, they're not in, in sort of a, a knee jerk, I want to be nice, but it's really opening doors for the future. Yeah. Inclusion, I think, is the word mm-hmm. there yeah. that Lisa used that I think is so important. We've also seen just evolution within the agile industry as it pertains to language, right? I think, Lisa, you were using phrases like work or life coaching originally because the term professional coaching wasn't widely known or as familiar to everybody, I guess, 10 years ago as it is now. Well, and I think the work that Agile Coaching Institute did created the acceptance of the phrase professional coaching. Because if you talk to a, what we in the agile world call a professional coach, they're like, why are you calling me a professional (laughs) coach? I'm just a coach. (laughs) But we created it to create a distinction between agile coaching, which is this uber thing, and a subset of it, of skills and belief system and competencies called professional (laughs) professional coaching. And at the time... Uh, in 2010, people were being called work-life coaches then. Mm-hmm. And now it, the phrase professional co- coach is ubiquitous enough in the agile world that I could just shift it to that, which which just sounded so much easier in the sentences, mm, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and even the, um, you know, at least online, it's like every time I turn around, I see someone else that's branding themselves as a worker or a life coach. So even there now, I think that has become a much larger term of which of that a subset is actually professional coaching in the way that we now in the agile community refer to professional coaching. Right. Um, another thing that shifted was, you know, 10 years ago, in many ways, it was about getting agile right. Like, yeah. are you doing it the right way? Mm. Or versus like, are we doing agile well? And so that difference of well versus right was something else that you sort of played with. Right, Lisa? Maybe? Well, what I'm aware of is how much I talked about doing agile well. Mm. And so in the original book, and so that's Mm -hmm. carried through in the audio book. But what's interesting is when I say that, people hear the word right. Ah, yes. So I think it's their hang up. And it's our mm-hmm. collective hang-up in the Agile community more than it is um, what is, you know, on the page and that people will hear out of my mouth mm-hmm. from my words when they listen to the audiobook. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just just open up your mind because I do talk about Agile done well all the time in the book. Like, yeah, meet people where they are. Continue your vision of Agile done well. Don't give up on that, even though these people are 10 steps away from your vision of Agile done well. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But people could hear Agile done right if that's yes. the, the hearing aid they've got on. Right. Yes. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. How, how does one avoid becoming pedantic when we get into this sort of stuff? Because it feels like it could be a slippery slope. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's absolutely a slippery slope. I think I think the way to prevent it is, again, that sort of uh, self-examination and the grace, realizing that, and this goes for all types of language, that um, if you are pedantic about something, 
that someone else has said, I can guarantee that there's a hundred other people who are pedantic about everything that you say, right? Like, it's just very easy. I think when, when one of the ways that we, we sort of develop an impression of a person is through their language, it's also very easy on the flip side of that to judge them on their language. And so I think the idea of language being fluid enables us to extend grace, to examine our own language, to realize that that we have preferences, we have language preferences that might not actually be where the language is going, and that's okay. You can have a preference and have it be your preference, but it's not a rule. It's not, you know, we're not saying, no, you need to do Agile right. You can't do Agile well. If you prefer to say doing Agile right, fine, you can do that, but that doesn't mean that that gives you, you know, any sort of space to, to dump on people who might say, let's do Agile well. So that's, that's sort of a baseline for how to not be pedantic. It's a constant self-check. I mean, I have to do it all the time, and my job is to not be pedantic. So That's a lot. Anything else? <laughs> I mean, I just, like, I just, like, I don't even, it's a lot. Well, it's a lot. I, I, think, I sort of feel like I need to come clean about the results of my conversation with Corey. Oh, no. Oh, that's what Lisa, when we talked about kind of our high dream for what we wanted to create it in this podcast series, it was let's get to the real Lisa and what she experienced going through this process. So you have opened the door, you must bring it on. Yeah. So, so bottom line is that nothing actually changed in the audiobook. <laughs> but I felt a lot better about it all. That's um, great. Yeah. So, like, the idea of mastery, Corey addressed that very eloquently earlier on in this podcast. And so, I, you know, because I don't just throw that word out there and move on, but take an entire chapter to unpack it, it, like, totally take, creates the context for it. So that word stayed. Servant, as I'm talking about servant as leader and going back to the original work of Robert Greenleaf, which is a thought leader who was way ahead of his time in his yeah, back in message the 70s, right? and his language. Yeah, in the 70s. Yeah. Late 60s, actually. And the, the first work was in the 70s. So, yeah, so I, I'm i sort of bringing that back in style. Mm. And so in that case, I want to keep that language. Yeah. Um, and now, Scrum Master. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was my place to go through the entire Coaching Agile Team's book and figure out a lang- uh, a new term all by myself and just mm-hmm. re-record everything. But I want to very much be engaged in the conversation of what does that language do now mm-hmm. and what is a more accurate term. Hmm. And so I think I, I could be part of that conversation. If you're having that conversation out there <laughs> and, and you have power to change it, yeah. I can, I'll be happy to be part of that conversation, but it's, it wasn't mine to do alone. I got really clear yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is, I believe in the way that, and I, I feel like we're uh, referring to the very first line of the manifesto in nearly every single one of these conversations, <laughs> Lisa, um, we, as the collective agile community, I believe will uncover what that language evolution needs to be Yeah, mm-hmm. and it will emerge at the right time. Yeah. 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 And it will become something just more simple and more accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, what it does mean, I think this is this interesting space 
of of when things are fluid, that means that they're always changing. And that means that you have to be willing to sit in a fluid space and let things develop. And, and I think that's one of the things about particularly a phrase like scrum master that's got really deep emotional reson- resonance on all sides for all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. We, our tendency is to just be like, eh, let's just change it now. Let's change it to this. Mm-hmm. But but a lasting change will be one that is organic, that involves as many key players as possible. And so, so part of the, you know, the, that moving into a new language, moving new into new space means that you also have to be willing to sort of sit in liminality and, and give voice to other people, which I think is, is so key to, I mean, that's part of that frames the whole manifesto, frankly, is giving voice to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What else about sort of the state of agile and the state of language do we want to explore before we wrap up today? I just feel hopeful that we are at a level of skill and ability in our conversations and in the collaborative nature that agile fosters that we can have more nuanced conversations now and not just wall a bunch of things off. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I think in terms of language from the language side of things, you know, the conversations around inclusion and around respect and around raising voices that have not had a chance to, to take the stage, I think is only going to serve that nuance even more. And I, and I'm excited and I'm excited because these things really dovetail well together, right? You can't have nuance if it's just the same key players over and over and over again. And and particularly given that, you know, Agile is a global phenomenon, Agile is growing in terms of its its diversity and inclusion, and there's a push for that. I, I think that only serves, that will only serve language better because yeah. more players, more people to, to give input is always going to produce a better product, for lack yeah. of a better word. <laughs> language yeah. isn't a product, but you know what I mean. Yeah. This is also, I think, an interesting opportunity to kind of call forward the agile coaches of today to just become really in tune to nonverbals because hyper-focus on that, you'll notice the flinch in someone's face or something they do with their eyes when there's a word used and getting curious because I think, Lisa, to your point, like it's so easy to just be talking and be so in whatever your own dialogue is to not notice the impact of just one little small word on somebody. Mm-hmm. And so as you're sort of holding the space in whatever sort of conversation it is, which is actually a really interesting gift of the virtual world we're living in in Zoom, mm-hmm. is you have an opportunity to see everyone's faces a little more easily than looking around the room and right. only seeing certain people at a certain time. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I think, allows us to maybe ascertain a little bit more of what the impact of language is if you're just paying attention in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So Corey, we've got, um, a women in agile YouTube channel. 
-hmm. where people can go and watch the recording from the virtual conference where your keynote's there. Uh, If uh, people want to go listen to the previous podcast that we've done together, that's available on iTunes and SoundCloud and Spotify and all your kind of favorite podcast Mm -hmm. places. So that was, I think, released in July, about the same time as the, the virtual conference. Other places people can go or references or recommendations where people can learn more about these sort of things? Well, I would be remiss if I did not uh, encourage everyone to read my own book. <laughs> I'm reading it right now. Okay, I can give a first person, like, in the moment testimonial. I'm in chapter three. I'm loving it. So, Corey, so Corey, I forgot the term already, but I loved it. The one you put quotes around a word, what is that called? Oh, scare quotes? Scare quotes. I never knew what's called scare quotes. <laughs> Now I didn't I either. Yep. It just tickled my funny bone. I started laughing out loud. I was like, uh, you know, hee-hawing over there. And my husband was like, what are you reading? I thought it's a, what's a book about language. <laughs> he was like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, so everyone's called Word by Word. Go get it. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, If you have interest about specific words and the histories of specific words, I cannot encourage you more to uh, try and track down a copy. You can usually get it through your library online of the Oxford English Dictionary, which is a big old historical dictionary, and it tells you every significant meaning and piddly meaning of a word through the history of English. So that's a really helpful resource if you're if you're like, what is the history of mastery? What is the history of, of these words? I would, you know, get get to your public library's website and see if they have access for you. Excellent. Lisa, any other recommendations you want to add? No, not at this point. <laughs> I think people know how to find me because my name is so strange, the L Y S S A spelling. excellent then what final thoughts do we have any other things before we wrap up just incredible gratitude Corey that you said yes to coming on here and talking about this aspect that was really important to me Mm. well I was really grateful for the opportunity to do it I think uh, linguists and lexicographers live in their own heads too much and it's nice to be reminded that you know other people think about language very critically too. So, so thank yeah. you. It was, it was really exciting. And I just, um, it, I, I love how Lisa just naturally moves to gratitude and appreciations, <laughs> which is sort of our, our ritual wrap up. It, it happens pretty often for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a survival um, tactic. <laughs> I, I just, I, I appreciate today the women in agile organization mm. for, um, for creating the space for us to have conversations like this, for providing us the platform Mm -hmm. for getting this information and these con this content out there, just so everybody can be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so thank you to Lisa, how you were part of the original origin of that to Natalie and, Mm -hmm. and the rest of the board for our nonprofit for just making all of this possible. Yeah. And to, I, was it Cheryl Hammond who knew you, Corey, and invited you to speak? Yes. Cheryl and I went to college together. (laughs) Thanks to Cheryl, because this whole thing would have not happened had I not showed up virtually on a Sunday morning and listened to Corey's keynote, which, which, you know, sent me into a tailspin. As I as I do to many people, <laughs> but, you, but the plane did not crash. No, nope. the plane continued to That's fly. That's right. 
Excellent. Well, ladies, thank you for being here and part of this conversation today. I truly appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to continuing this mini seriously. So we will talk again soon. Yeah, sounds great. Great. Thanks. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. As always, a huge thank you to the Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Accenture Solutions IQ. And if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.